The opinions of the commentator or commentators are solely those of the commentators and not of CJAD 800 or Bell Media. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 705 on CJAD 800. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello. And we're pleased to welcome back um, our, our annual champion, our favorite guest, and, and not just because he brings us cookies, uh, Michael although, Eskenazi. Although that does help. <laughs> Michael Eskenazi, the founder of Mr. Felix and Mr. Norton. Michael, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur. Thanks a lot, Dan. And you have a lot of news to share. Um, but first, for those that, that haven't tuned into our previous episodes with you, our previous chats, um, I mean, everyone knows Felix Norton, but tell us a little bit about Felix Norton and, and how it started. Um, well, it uh, last Friday was a very special day. It was our 30th anniversary. Uh, 30 years ago, uh, I opened the very first Felix and Norton shop in uh, Snowden on Queen Mary and DeCary, very nervously, wondering if people would actually show up and, and pay for the cookies that everybody loved when I gave them away. And uh, knock wood, uh, they, they did, and they keep buying them. 30 years. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And news in the last week, Dan, have you uh, ever picked up on, on anything special that we should chat about before yes, we... Yes, let's do that. Uh, I actually completely forgot about our news. Well, segment. this That's is okay. what we're here for, Scrambling you Scrambling at the last minute here to get into studio, but uh, let's review, of course, uh, and, my, and my, Michael might as well join us in on the conversation here. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go over some of the, uh, the stories uh, making entrepreneur news today, and shall we begin with... Um, did you want to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, retail? Can always talk about retail. Okay. Uh, I just uh, my computer's crashing here. I'm sorry, Josh. Um, maybe we can start with a with a chat uh, with Michael first, and then we'll get into the stories in a little bit. Yeah, I I, th I think one of the stories that you were going to lead to that we read up on is about China and the entrepreneurs in China that are really coming coming out strong. You know, a lot of people used to go work for government or state owned or uh, enterprises, and the number of entrepreneurs that are that don't want to go into that aspect and that want to come out and just start their own business whatever it might be uh is is truly staggering and what does that mean for us here i mean does that mean that they'll find the next that michael you'll have your next competitor coming out of china because they'll find something probably more on the tech side that that will be a competition but entrepreneurs that that know they have to stay ahead of the curve and 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 really make a difference with whatever product or service are going, the number of competitors are going to grow fiercely as the entrepreneurs in China start building and growing. And I mean, it's just sheer numbers. It's it's going to happen and they're going to fight. And there's even worse or better for them, I guess, is that there's a lot of money sitting, you know, stagnant in China with people wanting to invest, with people wanting to find ways to get it out of the country. And this will be a great great, great opportunity for those to invest in startups and entrepreneurs to build it and find a way to move it out. I do have my, my list of, of stories now, and, and that story refers to uh, youth in China particularly, which is kind of interesting, uh, now getting more, int more into entrepreneurship, uh, where their parents um, usually relied on government jobs. So we're seeing a new class, a new middle class of entrepreneurs in China. 
It is. Again, it's it's a question of there's more dollar. There's dollars are there. There's no shortage of money in China. The question is, where are they putting it? Where are they, where are they investing in? Uh, and the state-owned enterprises are maybe not flourishing as much as they used to. Uh, and, and I think there's, there's going to be a big trend, and it's already started, of these entrepreneurs setting up shop, finding ideas, creating and building, building huge businesses that will emanate from there and extend to the rest of the world. Shopify, which is a Canadian company in Ottawa, just filed a, an IPO for over $100 million, um, in New York and Toronto. And uh, now, as a result, Ottawa is being called the Silicon Valley of Canada. Kind of, kind of weird to think of Ottawa mm-hmm. as a Silicon, Silicon Valley of, uh, of Canada. Uh, I mean, although I guess Waterloo for a long period of time and still is, is, is that I guess can fall under that, uh, that title as well. Uh, so a lot of little towns that, that happened, but Ottawa, listen, the fact is, is that there's plenty of money there. It's a lot of politics. You know, they want to raise funds. Uh, it's, it is a center. Uh, it's it's bilingual. They can reach a, a whole number of people, and there is money there too. Uh, certainly, in, with whether whatever politics drives, uh, there's plenty of dough to be had in Ottawa. So these tech companies that need, you know, money to fuel their burn rate, um, but that can absolutely grow and take off, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a bad place to be. Should we talk about the maple syrup situation, which is kind of funny? It's uh, it's like the OPEC of the maple syrup world. It's, yes. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy how it's regulated and, uh, you know, a little mafia-esque, uh, possibly. Uh, but I, I think here it's, you know, and I don't know how many people understand or know the maple syrup business, uh, but it is very regulated. There is, there is an association or an independent group, a government group that does regulate and monitor sales and pricing and all that. Uh, but to the point that it might even be hurting entrepreneurs. And I think they really have to, you know, like any entrepreneur, you have to follow the rules. But uh, I guess you also have to be creative and make sure while you're following them, you find ways to to make a few extra bucks. Because there's no doubt the competitors south of the border, or whatever, wherever they are, are going to find ways to get into that market. Michael, have you ever used uh, maple syrup in one of your products and dealt with the, the cartel, so to speak? Well, I, I mean, uh, just uh, a little bit. We did make uh, a seasonal flavor of uh, with uh, ch- a little uh, maple syrup chips uh, in uh, a maple walnut cookie. But I, I can't say that I uh, ever really got very far into the whole uh, cartel. Uh, <laughs> just I just bought them and used them as an ingredient. It's just safer that way. So basically, I mean, what's going on is there's more pressure now from other markets who are also producing maple syrup and who are catching on to Quebec's system. Um, but Quebec is sort of still st- stuck in the old way of doing things and maybe uh, used to sort of uh, doing things a certain way, but they're going to have to adapt to some of those those outside challenges now. It, it certainly seems that way. And as the world gets smaller and there's more people that invest and they see an opening in the market or a vulnerability, it's going to happen. So is Quebec going to have to kind of look at their regulations and, and see what else they, they should be doing in order to not lose the status that, that Quebec has worked so long to create? Very possibly so. Burger King and Tim Hortons, they're working out pretty well after their marriage, of course. So what do you think of this long term in terms of 
uh, direction because these are two restaurants with two sort of unique identities, right? Tim Hortons is sort of more, um, not your average fast food restaurant. It has more of a Canadian identity, let's just say. Uh, how do you think that what's, is that, is that a challenge really to preserve that kind of Canadian vibe in, uh, in now what is a, a larger American corporation? It, it might be, but the reality is if it, they're really successful because they understand their markets, they know, you know, we always say on the show, you know, know your audience, the entrepreneur has to know their audience. Okay. These are maybe not on the entrepreneurial level, level it's big business, uh, but they still have to know their audience and they still have to know their target markets and they better do it right. Didn't work with target. They didn't know their target markets. Uh, but, uh, but doing Burger King and the U S uh, and Tim Hortons in Canada, I think it, it's an excellent collaboration. They'll understand their markets. They'll certainly have huge economies of scale, as I'm sure they're experiencing, which is probably one of the reasons to towards their their improved bottom line. Uh, but again, it's knowing their market, and I think with their collaboration of north and south of the border, they'll be able to retain their their specific identities and maybe enhance them as they each go on their respective sides. And finally, if you have a uh, good idea you think will make a lot of money, Google might want to buy it from you. This is, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, Google is one of these, another big business that, that might be taking advantage of, of the smaller guy. You know, they, they certainly are sitting on billions of dollars and billions of revenue. And what better way to take over the next best thing than to say, hey, entrepreneur, you have a great idea. You're kind of floundering. You don't know where to go and you want to make some money. Sell it to us. We got loads of it sitting in our pockets. And for them, it's a roll of the dice and it's probably cheap by comparison to all the investment and time that they're doing. So it's, um, I guess it's an interesting aspect from Google standpoint to look for the next best thing for them instead of relying purely on their internal uh, people. That, uh, and entrepreneurs, listen, I guess it's another venue to take advantage of if you want to capitalize on something that you think you've built, it just might be too quick of a way out. So uh, I would say entrepreneurs be a little bit wary of, uh, of the big boy in town. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800. More with Michael Eskenazi of Felix & Norton celebrating his 30th anniversary in just a moment. But first, it's 7.15. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Coming up to 7.18 on today's Entrepreneur, we're joined by Michael Eskenazi of Felix and & Norton and Josh uh, 30 years ago this week. They're celebrating their anniversary and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible. Michael, did you ever think that uh, 30 years ago you'd be um, setting up shop in the United Arab Emirates? Uh, no, I don't think that thought ever crossed my mind, even, never mind 30 years ago, even two years ago. Uh, it, it really wasn't uh, on my target list. But some wonderful people from uh, the Emirates uh, who studied at uh, Concordia got a, got MBAs here, and absolutely fell in love with Felix and Norton. Just said, "Hey, this would really work in our home. Can we talk?" And uh, they talked, and I listened, and uh, got to know them, uh, which is was really the the first part, the the most important part was. Uh, was there compatibility between us in in uh, personally and our and our business goals? And I just really became very fond of them, as did they of of uh, my wife and myself. And uh, over time, it took uh, about a year and a half of discussion and negotiation. And in January, we opened our first shop there. Now you're you're talking with them for the first time. I mean, do they don't know your product at all, or they know it from a consumer standpoint? Um, 
they're young, they're they're ambitious. Uh, was it difficult to? And they, and they certainly it's a different business. Even though they studied here, not exactly the same business culture between here and there. Do you find there was a difficulty there or, or in that type of discussion? Did you find that you had to kind of convince them a little bit on how to operate and and what might work over there? Um, I think that they they are they were a lot more advanced than you were giving them credit for. They. Uh, uh, it, it, when I got to the Emirates, I was so surprised to see how many brands from here were already there. In our mall, there was a, there was a second cup. Uh, there was uh, Tim Hortons and probably thirty different uh, American uh, franchise chains that that we all know. Uh, it, it is very common now for brands uh, to uh, to go to that market, uh, and. Uh, so many of the people travel a lot and have studied abroad and are aware of Western ways of uh, doing business. Uh, it's a very, very advanced uh, uh, society in so many ways. Were you skeptical of, of, of it ever working? I mean, did you ever kind of venture into another jurisdiction that maybe didn't work before? Uh, well, there was uh, an attempt uh, about six or seven years ago where we went quite far with some people for opening up in Mexico City, and then that kind of uh, went off the rails. Uh, but they, they, one of the things that happened was I was very reticent, saying, I'm very focused on rebuilding my brand here in Montreal. This is where I see, uh, or, or in Canada anyway, this is where I see the, the growth potential, and I'm still a small business, and I don't have time to give you, and what you need from me to help get set up is my time. Uh, so so they, uh, because I was reticent and they were really passionate about it, they did a lot of selling to me about what a great economy they have and how big the opportunity was. And uh, it really uh, opened my eyes to to uh, to the potential in that market. Certainly, you were, in, I guess, in the envious position of them wanting you more than you were seeking out them. When you're dealing with with you know these brand new people, and you kind of before you get into bed with them, do you do you consider background checks? Uh, how do you how do you kind of vet them to make sure that your comfort level is satisfied? Well, of course, I, I did as much as I could in terms of uh, what, I, uh, what I could find out about them and asking them for, uh, for their personal history and CVs. But more than that, I asked them to come uh, to Montreal and spend time with me, and uh, they did, and they spent quite a bit of time here. And I said, just as important as me getting to know them is them getting to know me. And I was completely open book about uh, my successes and my failures so that they understood that it was a business that there was no guarantee. It isn't a ro necessarily a road to riches, not without a lot of hard work and, and, and a lot of uh, attention to detail. And they, was there ever a point in that whole process where there was a question mark of continuing, kind of a go, no go point, or did everything really go smoothly? No, there was there was a long delay uh, th that uh, was caused by one of the two partners dropping out, mm. uh, and uh, the other partner who had other business interests was not sure. And just a year ago, uh, he came to Montreal as we did a big trade show at the Palais de Congrès, a food show, and he spent the week with me and stood behind the uh, stood in our booth during the food show, and was so overwhelmed by the reaction of 
thousands of people coming by our booth and, and going, Felix and Norton, these are the best cookies I've ever had in my life. I know that I, I used to go to your store on uh, St. Catherine Street and I did and, and people biting into our product and breaking into such big smiles. And he saw the passion. And that's when he said, OK, we've got to close this deal. Uh, it's excellent to hear, and I, I'm sure you've learned a number of lessons, whether be it the not-so-great uh, deal that, that didn't happen in Mexico, the, the Emirates. Uh, so when we come back, we'll kind of listen to a, a lesson or two that you've learned along the way about dealing with international business. Michael Eskenazi of Felix & Norton celebrating 30 years in business on Today's Entrepreneur at professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.25 on today's Entrepreneur in Studio with us, Michael Eskenazi of Felix & Norton, Josh, and uh, international expansion now for Felix & Norton, and that brings uh, a whole bunch of different challenges. No question, and, and, and there's no doubt that it's great that, that people here, they have the passion for the cookies, they know it, it's a North American market. The market in the Middle East is no doubt different. Uh, the cultures are different. Uh, Michael, when you were kind of discussing with your now partners over there, um, what were the biggest obstacles or hurdles or or, or discussions or, or or deals that you had to overcome or see to say that to get them to or get that that culture there to understand? Hey, these are also the best cookies, and this is what it should be. Uh, actually, that that wasn't really that much of a challenge. Uh, I, I I sent over lots of cookie dough uh, for them to share, and they did their own market research uh, with uh, with people around them, and they were just thrilled with the reaction they got. Everybody that they offered them to said, "Wow, these are the best cookies I've ever had, and we'd love to be able to buy them here. Bring them in." So the, listen, market research, whether it's here or there, is always hugely important. So it's so I'm glad they did. But with your, with the experience you had, uh, Mexico experience with the Emirates, is there a particular lesson or two that you've that you've learned that you walk away with saying, knowing, listen, this is this is something I absolutely have to ensure happens when there is a next time. Well, you know, it, and, and, and there were many opportunities over the years. There are so many people who used to live in Montreal, who now live somewhere else, who long for our cookies and who got in touch with me and said, I really want to open a Felix & Norton store in Houston, in Paris, in Tokyo, in uh, Miami. And they were always people who were tired of their job and wanted to open a store. Uh, but they wanted me to be their partner and help them finance it. I uh, and and even the folks in in Mexico City were undercapitalized. The uh, the United Arab Emirates is a place that everybody knows has a lot of uh, f financial resources, uh, and these people were ready to invest not just in the one store, but in making a commitment to open multiple locations and to make a, a sizable payment up front that uh, would secure the rights because they have the rights not just for the Emirates but for the entire uh, Arabian Gulf area, for all the countries there. And they are uh, looking to expand and grow. And that's the only way you, you need a base to work from. Uh, one store far away just costs too much and can't support all the costs at their end and at my end uh, that would be uh, necessary to make the business work. There's there's certainly the relationship that you had to work at, uh, you know, the, the business side, the 
the the logistics of of shipping the goods and and cookies and dough. Uh, there's no doubt has to be a legal side that you had to delve into and make sure the agreements are all, all, you know, cross T's and I's dotted and make sure you protect yourself. Was that a, a difficult process or a lengthy process? Everything in our dealings was a lengthy process. <laughs> Everything moves very slowly in uh, overseas or certainly in that part of the world. The, the speed of getting things done is uh, much uh, slower than what we're used to here. Uh, but we negotiated a contract, uh, and uh, it did take a long time. There were a lot of back and forth. Uh, they, they did receive a sizable chunk of financing from the Emirati, uh, 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 an investment fund that helps uh, their uh, citizens uh, build businesses. And of course, like any government organization, there was a ton of red tape. So every uh, week or sometimes every day, I would get a panic call going, now they're asking for this. Can you help me prepare uh, <laughs> this document, this form? They need to see this. And uh, we did what it took to help him uh, secure his financing. Well, there's no doubt it takes a lot to launch a brand in a new place, but when you're relaunching a brand here in your own hometown, it also takes a lot of work and effort. And when we come back after the break, we'll talk about the relaunch and the nice colors that we all that we're staring at right now for for Felix and Norton cookies. Michael Eskenazi, our guest of Felix Norton, uh, celebrating their 30th anniversary this week. Today's entrepreneur on CJD 7:30. CJD 800 News with Kelly LaPare. Kelly. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.33 on today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And Josh, our uh, pretty much annual chat with Michael Eskenazi of Felix and Norton, one of our favorite entrepreneurs, and not just because of the delicious cookie factor, of course. Although that does help. It does. It definitely helps. Um, but uh, we're talking about um, Michael's international expansion to the, uh, to the UAE uh near dubai um which presents some some pretty interesting challenges for businesses owners and, and no question and and i know we want to get into the kind of the launch uh, or relaunch here uh in montreal and quebec in canada but just before there and, and there's there's always so many business lessons to learn in our own backyard but i was just wondering just before we get into to the next topic michael was there a lesson that that your your business partner in the emirates learned or, or, or whether we learned from you or, or realized, uh, what was maybe one of the biggest lessons when he's first started? Well, when he was here, I was telling him a lot of our history. And one of the stories that I told was that when I first got the idea of Felix and Norton, I wanted to open on St. Catherine Street. And I spoke with a number of landlords who said, sorry, we won't rent to you because St. Catherine Street is so expensive. And if you make mistakes, you will uh, go under and your business will die. Uh, go open in a suburban area, as I did on Queen Mary, learn your business, and when you're ready, uh, then come to St. Catherine Street. And two years later, I, I opened on St. Catherine Street, and we did fantastic. But I did make a lot of adjustments and a lot of changes and learn a lot about my business. So he thought about that, and instead of opening in the crazy expensive Dubai Mall, where uh, where rents can be uh, unheard of amounts of twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a month rent, he said, "Let's 
open in his hometown, which is an hour away from Dubai, in a beautiful big mall, but it's still not the same kind of cost and pressure, and it was right under his nose, and he opened in the, t- the city of Al Ain, uh, and he's learning the business, and he is also making a, a number of adjustments to the business, and shortly uh, they are opening, they, they're, they're negotiating a second lease now in the second largest city in Abu Dhabi, and he hopes that by uh, the, the uh, early in uh, 2016 or late 2015, he'll be ready to, to go after the, the, the major fantastic malls in Dubai. The reality is it's a lesson that applies pretty much anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know, if you're not sure and you're starting out, uh, better to tweak in a in a smaller location before you, you get up and, and possibly blow your brains out in a bigger one. Exactly. So now, let, now let's shift back, back home. And, uh, and, you know, people have known Felix Norton for obviously 30 years, as we keep mentioning, happy anniversary, but there's no question. There's always a reinvention of, of not, maybe not the product in this, in this moment, but certainly the look and freshening things up. At what point did you realize, Michael, uh, or did you decide to say, Hey, you know what, time to kind of change it up a little bit. Well, you know, we had to refresh our look. Uh, we felt that it was getting old and tired a little bit and we were trying to be noticed that uh, but yet still be recognized to not totally change things so that uh, people will think we're a new company but uh, still be recognizable as Felix and Norton which is one of the changes we made we're no longer Monsieur Felix and Mr. Norton but simply Felix and Norton which is what everybody's been calling us anyway for years because it's it's really very much a balancing act you don't want to harm the magnificent image and 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 story and and knowledge and and brand that you have but yet you still want to make it a little bit different a little bit brighter and a little bit more today and you know it's different for years for for many years we had our own shops and we sort of had a, a you know a big space but now we're in IGAs and Metro grocery stores and we're sharing shelf space with thousands of other products and we really have to make sure that we do the best we can with that couple of feet uh, of, of shelf space. Now, where do you start? I mean, rebuilding a brand, you know, choosing colors and all that. What is step number one? Or what was it for you? Surround yourself with some people who really understand branding and, uh, and, and graphics and... Uh, uh, do a lot of analysis and brainstorming with them uh, so that uh, we can find something that really can work for packaging, for marketing, uh, that's going to resonate and, uh, as I said, still make people remember what we were, but, uh, but give them that fresh new excitement uh, for where we're going. A long process, like from beginning until you've, you've recently redone the packaging, how long did it take? In actuality, it's been a, about a four or five year program because first there was one step uh, with with one terrific designer that we worked with, and then <clears throat> there was a second step uh, over the last uh, twelve or fifteen months with uh, a terrific uh, team of uh, uh, very creative people. And is it a question of like when you're relaunching and rebranding? Obviously, the cookie, the, the the product itself, that's that's central. But is it? Do you look at changing colors? Do you look at taglines? Do you look at the like? Did you really just kind of break it down and start from the ground up and look at everything piece by piece? Well, yeah, but 
you, you don't that that th those things are more results. What you've just uh, mentioned. The first thing is is just to really make sure everybody understands what we are, what what we represent to people. And Felix and Norton is all about fun. And uh, conveniently, F and N, when you put the little ampersand in between them, it spells fun. Pretty darn close. And uh, also, uh, luckily for us, uh, fun is an anglicism <laughs> that uh, a lot of French people use. Du bon fun. And uh, so uh, we decided that that was going to be a very central theme of everything we do uh, going forward. Now, there's also you also have the truck. So the, the, the cookie truck that a lot of people refer to, I mean, you go to events, you're, you're at the old Port of Montreal for the summer. Uh, it's certainly a, a bit of a, a flagship uh, item or image or branding because a lot of people see it, um, you know, does that come into play when you're thinking about rebranding? How am I going to have it done? How is the truck going to portray our new brand? Well, absolutely. It's actually uh, just finishing its complete makeover. The truck used to be chocolate brown, uh, and now it's uh, going to be a very bright pink. I, I, it's, it's changing as much as Bruce Jenner just changed. Well, it is kind of the brown male to a pink female, but we won't go into that. Uh, is that... Now, are you can how I'm you know I, I love this brand change and I'm thinking colors and yes I'm an accountant so I don't have that maybe that entire creative side, but I I can just imagine the discussions that you're having around the table with your you know with with your spouse who's very involved in the business Gina and certainly the creative people is it was it ever a frustrating point like you just want to get something done and out or was did you just have so much fun with it? Um, you know. As, as an accountant, I'm sure you can appreciate that the frustration came from, how much is this going to cost? Exactly. <laughs> I love the whole creative side. I wish I could, I could just keep writing checks, but uh, it, it really, uh, there there is so much that has to be changed because there wasn't a choice. Once we decided to change the branding, of course we had to change the truck. And of course we had to change our bags and our boxes and our website and, 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 and uh, so this keeps on adding up. No question. Now, now you also mentioned, and, and I know this is from past shows, but we'll st start fresh. You're, you're working with the bigger box stores, the grocery stores. How involved do they get with the packaging? How involved do they insist it, it be a certain way? Is it reselling them how it looks? Do you say, do you, you know, how, how do you deal with them as far as the rebranding and product goes? Well, interestingly, when I first started, I worked exclusively with IGA and uh, they were very involved and in suggesting ideas for the packaging. But now that we've done a whole rebranding uh, re and uh, actually changed from the plastic tubs to resealable bags, and uh, we basically just said, here's what we're doing. And they said, oh, that looks great. And that was that. There, there wasn't. So either we did it right or they didn't feel that it was their place anymore to uh, to guide us, that we're, we've matured as a company. And now that you've been working with them for a good couple of years, IGA and Metro and the other, other stores, uh, how have you found that experience? Has it been challenging? Uh, what kind of lessons uh, have you learned? 
Well, there isn't anything about business that isn't challenging. You're always uh, up against uh, so many obstacles. There's uh, so much bureaucracy in these organizations. There's so many different people that you have to deal with and different opinions. And you might have this one on your side as your champion that you're working closely with. And whoops, they got transferred or they've left. And now you've got somebody new to start all over with. And that happens a lot in, in the retail business. So you took your retail product and you gave it uh, exclusively to to IGA to start. Do you, if you were to redo things, would you would you go that same route again, uh, giving giving your product over to someone exclusively to start and then sort of branching out? Well, I think it it helped a lot because they were very supportive and they did a lot of promotion of our product uh, in internally in their circulars in their stores, uh, and, and they were extremely su- supportive in things that I probably, well, not probably, I couldn't have afforded to do uh, on my own. So it was a great partnership, but at a certain time we had to we had to grow, and they understood sort of, uh, and uh, so it was time for us to to find other customers customers and other uh, methods of distribution. Now what we're working on is uh, is a lot of new products. And I was going to say, you know, it, it it sounds like you even though it's been 30 years and it's been it's been some up and down years, but it's 30 years the the juices don't stop. You got to keep thinking, you got to keep thinking about the next best product or the next look. So what's next? What's what's next on tap for Felix Norton? Well, there's a, there are many new things uh, coming soon. Uh, we are about to launch uh, in, a, in partnership with a company that makes K-Cups for, uh, for the Keurig coffee machines, a line of Felix & Norton flavored, cookie-flavored coffees and hot chocolates that will be on the market uh, this fall. Uh, we're working with a local, terrific, high-end ch- uh, chocolatier chocolate manufacturer making cookie bites, chocolate-covered cookie bits that are going to come in three different flavors and sold in bags like, like some of the other big chocolate companies are doing, uh, Kit Kat bites and things like that. We're going to have a, a Felix & Norton irresistible, can't-stop-eating chocolate uh, bite uh, product. Sounds good. Lots of plans. Michael Eskenazi of Felix and Norton. Uh, you, you will hang around for a bit and uh, your cookies will as well. And we'll have uh, Nick Moraitis talking about uh, tax season. International business. Oh, interesting. All right. That's up next on today's Entrepreneur. It's uh, 7.45. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Three, Landau, two, Chartered eh. Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Tonight on today's Entrepreneur, Michael Eskenazi of Felix and Norton. They're celebrating 30 years this week, as well as an expansion into the United Arab Emirates. And Josh will also bring in Nick Moraitis, tax partner at Fuller Landau, into the conversation to talk, well, of course, about the taxes, especially if uh, you're doing business uh, internationally. Exactly. And the, there's no go, there's no doubt these days where all the governments are, as we always say, they're broke and they're really trying to look for the, the next dollar, wherever that may be, or the penny on the ground as, as, as they as whatever they can get it. Uh, international business can also be a bit of a minefield and with all the compliance and procedures and reporting and, and of course, understanding the other jurisdictions. Uh, so we'll, we'll turn to Nick, who, uh, who somehow, you know, gets really excited about these things uh, and we'll look to him for guidance a little bit on some of these international businesses. What's the first thing, Nick, that pops into your mind when somebody says, I want to do business with the Emirates or with China or with... France, oh my goodness, or wherever. 
Well, tonight I was going to have a cookie before I respond, which I already did, so I'll continue. Not um, just not you, just one. Just but... one, yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. When you're, when you're going into international, you have to realize that you're now dealing with another country's laws, which means another country's tax laws. So you got two tax systems now looking at the dollars that you're going to be making. Uh, Canada has a, um, a system of tax treaties with uh, many other countries, including the United Arab Emirates, that basically dictate, well, who's going to get the tax, uh, this dollar that uh, you're going to be earning in, in the foreign country. Uh, and that is, becomes very key because uh, there are some countries who don't have these treaties. And, and when, you're, when you're doing business in those countries, you could be facing double taxation because Canada still wants to tax you because you're resident here. And the other country wants to tax you because you're doing business there. So funds that flow into Canada from other countries when you're doing business, there could be taxes being paid over there or withheld? That, that's right. And, and they're usually withholding taxes. And there's also local taxes that you're going to be paying over there. So when we're looking for a Canadian business uh, looking to go offshore, uh, a couple of things that we end up looking at is, well, first of all, are you setting yourself up in a manner that is taxable in the other country? You could be doing business with that other country, but are you set up that way? Or do you have an office there? Do you have a, an establishment there that is more or less permanent, which will usually trigger taxation in the local country? Are you setting up a subsidiary there? Or are you simply making a trade relationship, a trade agreement where you are uh, providing, say, trade secrets for a royalty, uh, you're, you're doing a joint venture, as, uh, you, as Mike, as you were speaking about in Mexico City, you wanted a joint venture. Uh, what is the structure of you doing this business uh, in this foreign country? So, so let's, let's talk about the situation where it's a royalty, where you're, it's, it's trade secrets, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're selling your, your knowledge, your know-how, and in return, you're getting a percentage of the sales. And, and, and that's right. And, and it's basically what you're really looking to do is, uh, is it is sometimes the simplest because you're not looking at uh, doing the actual any work yourself physically. You've given someone else the, the know-how to do that work, and you're going to be getting a percentage of, of the sales or something. And in most cases, uh, the foreign countries will apply some sort of withholding tax against that royalty, usually determined with the treaty. It could be uh, zero. It could be 10%. could be 15%. Without a treaty, who knows what it could be. It depends what the other country is going to want to tax. Here, Canada will at least recognize that you are paying that foreign tax and, and will credit you against whatever taxes you would be paying here. And it is going to be income here to Canada. And that seems to be a very quick and, and simple way to go international if you want that. Obviously, if you got more bigger ideas and, and you want to set up a shop uh, in the foreign country, you want your own people there, you want a joint venture with locals who know the business, but you want to have a part of that because it, it, it could be a more profitable and more uh, a wealth generator for yourself. Well, now you're into the whole the whole stream of what the rules are. Et so, so very different if you're kind of dealing arm's length with a supplier or a partner you don't you're not uh, uh, related to that's, that's and right. or if you're kind of dealing with your with yourself and you have your own subsidiary that's right when we come back from the break we'll we'll chat a little bit more about not dealings at arm's length and michael askenazi's uh, one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur that's next for professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Michael Eskenazi of Felix & Norton with us, plus Nick Moretis, a tax partner at Fuller Landau, talking about uh, dealing abroad, uh, which which Michael now is in, in the United Arab Emirates and uh, the challenges it presents around tax time. And there's no question that, and we were talking a little bit about the arm's length transaction before you're dealing with uh, somebody you're not related to, a supplier, and and maybe getting some payments from them. But then there's a whole bunch of businesses that you know don't want to deal with somebody 
that they don't want to, they want to deal with themselves. So they'll open up their own subsidiary or branch or whatever. What are maybe some of the first things that entrepreneurs should think about when they're looking at doing that? Well, you, you, you are looking at that. And I guess it's a question of long-term view. Uh, the branch seems to be the simplest one, which is simply an extension of the Canadian company. So now the Canadian company has an office in Montreal, and the Canadian company will have an office, say, in the in the United Arab Emirates. And whatever makes it down there will be taxed out, out there, and whatever it makes here in Canada will be taxed. Uh, uh, sorry, and everything it makes anywhere in the world gets taxed by Canada. That's the simplest method, and, and many times you're looking at what the treaties usually uh, turn around and, and talk about. We tend to shy away from these um, just opening up a branch because you're mingling what happens here with what's being reported in the foreign country because they, they, they sort of you're opening up your books to the foreign country. So many will then turn around and say, well, listen, I'm going to create a subsidiary. I'll go get a company in the UAE. That's where we set it up. And that company with whatever it does uh, will be taxable in, in the UAE and it'll be owned by a Canadian company over here. And then you're into the whole realm of of, um, of I guess transfer pricing, which we is a, is a whole realm onto that's itself. A, that's a big word. I mean, that's, transfer pricing uh, that's is an huge. Entire what does that mean, transfer pricing? It is the prices that are established between the parent company, say, and its subsidiary in a foreign country that could be viewed as uh, you're playing around with profits. And and that is a big big issue going around the world right now, where they are looking at. Uh, um, where low-tax low, low tax jurisdictions may have valuable assets and they're charging a, a very large fee to, say, um, a, a company that is located in a high-tax jurisdiction and basically not paying taxes in the high-tax jurisdiction and making m billions of dollars of profits in the low-tax jurisdiction. So that's something that is looked at. Here you have we, what we... When Canada is a unique system that... Um, uh, unlike the the U.S., which is a problem in the U.S., where a Canadian company who has a subsidiary elsewhere and er is earning profits in that other country, is paying its taxes in that other country, can repatriate that money back into Canada without necessarily additional taxation when you're in a, with a treaty country, which is very attractive from a Canadian perspective because your cash can come back into Canada to be used here in Canada to either expand further or go out somewhere else. So it's a it's a plus. It's a Big from plus from a Canadian perspective. I will now add one little thing that Canadian entrepreneurs, there's always something we've talked about on this radio show every time I'm on is capital gains exemptions. That when you're selling your business, there's an 800,000, actually now it's 813,000 of uh, proceeds that you can receive and not pay any taxes a capital gain. That assumes that your, that your company is, is a business here and running a business here in Canada. Uh, when you open up a, a plant uh, in another country, a branch or a subsidiary, all of a sudden you're not running a business here in Canada anymore, you're, you're offshore. That could hurt your capital gains exemption could deny it. So that's why planning how to expand corporately when you're going offshore is something very important as well that an entrepreneur has to keep in mind. It's a question of degree, I guess. I mean, it's a question of facts. It's a question of degree. Facts and, and degree, but if the, if, the, if the foreign operation is hoping that you take off, and becomes valuable vis-a-vis -vis the Canadian, you will end up losing your capital gains exemption. So how you structure it becomes very important as well. Excellent. Thanks very much, Nick. Uh, and as we come to the uh, to our last moments of uh, today's entrepreneur, we'll turn to Michael, who has been around for thirty years in his business and is and is uh, you know a veteran on this show. But we'll we'll turn to him and say, Michael, what would your one piece of t of advice be to today's entrepreneur? Be careful who you go into business with. I got very lucky, but I uh, I took a long time, as I said earlier, 
but I met somebody who shares my passion, uh, who loves my product and my brand almost as much as I do, and it's uh, really comforting to know that he's representing my company at the other side of the world. And uh, it's just we've, we've built a friendship and a trust that uh, you really need to have in, uh, in business, in, in, in partnership. Do you remember that first day 30 years ago? Like it was uh, yesterday. Actually, better than yesterday. <laughs> I don't remember much about yesterday. The memory hasn't faded yet. Uh, anyhow, Dan, my, my takeaway, uh, you know, because we've concentrated on on marketing, on rebranding, uh, I think the, the takeaway for me is that entrepreneurs have to continue to keep an open mind, have to continue to know that whatever they've developed that was probably great and successful 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, has to constantly be refreshed. You have to reinvent yourself uh, and entrepreneurs that know or that are looking enough ahead and not clinging to the past know that they have to do just that. And get out of your comfort zone on occasion, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Michael Eskenazi of uh, Felix & Norton, thanks so much for stopping by again this season. Great to be here. Nick Moretis of Fuller Landau, thanks very much. Uh, Josh, back next week, next Monday night here at 7 p.m. on News Talk Radio CJAD 800. The Exchange with Lee's Ravery is next. It's 8 o'clock.